Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues and getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. It's July, and some of you may be very familiar with uh, summer camp, particularly if you have kids and you've shipped the little darlings off to someplace fun and exciting while you catch up on sanity. Well, camp isn't just for little kids. Some big kids are actually returning to this summer pastime. And uh, I bring this up because when I first heard of Gig City and its Gig Tank program, summer camp was the first visual, actually, that popped into my head. I mean, here you have teams of college students and entrepreneurs from various parts of the country, uh, the world, actually, that are going to Chattanooga to play with technology for the summer. And how cool is that? But instead of building clay pots and singing kumbaya around the campfire, you have some really uh, smart, creative people that are building stuff, gigabit stuff. And uh, they're in um, Chattanooga, which I guess we will describe as one of the biggest uh, gigabit real-world test labs in the country, and uh, spending their summer coming up with innovative answers to the question, what can you do with a gig? So for today, we have four team leaders who are among the seven leaders uh, brought together to uh, bring great ideas to light. And they're going to talk about Gig Tank, the the Gig Tank program, uh, their particular projects, and most importantly, what can we expect when cities bring true high-speed networks and turn creative minds loose. Today we have uh, Seth Gingham and uh, Nicole Newman, who are each leading uh, student teams and representing the older kids at camps. Uh, the, uh, the folks with existing companies uh, are Anthony Guglielmo and Tony Jamayo, and welcome to the show, all of you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So let's take two minutes for each of you to tell us where you're from and describe the project that you're working on. Okay, I'll kick it off. Uh, This is Tony. Um, I am from Tampa Bay, Florida, and I'm working on a startup called Banyan. And what Banyan actually does is we are a version version control and collaboration application for researchers. Uh, And the way that we actually utilize the gig is uh, one of the things that we found um, is that researchers are working on these huge files. Uh, you know, you've got uh, particle accelerators at Stanford where they're outputting hundreds and hundreds of terabytes of data um, on, through every experiment. And it's actually very difficult uh, to share that data. One of the things that I like to point to a lot is it's actually faster for a professor at Stanford to take a physical hard drive, drive down to the airport, and fly to London than it is for him to send that over the Internet right now. Uh, so what we're actually doing is engineering a product around the gig to uh, connect major research universities to share, um, not, to not only share data, but to collaborate on the data that they're generating that was previously unable to se- that they were previously unable to send. Mm-hmm. So you're, in essence, figuring out ways to use uh, gigabit networks to unwrap 
some of the, uh, not unwrap, but unclog some of the, the congestion in getting information out, whereas, you know, people have to travel great distances or have slow internet connections, which means that it takes forever to move data back and forth. You're, you're, you're helping that process along or open it up a little bit. Well, actually, that process right now isn't even open. Uh, we're, we're looking to actually open those doors. Uh, a big part of the reason that academics publish papers at the end of the year is because the raw data that they're generating, they're just unable to share right now. It's not cost-effective for them to share, and just there's there's bandwidth barriers there. Uh, so mm-hmm. the gig gives us kind of this unique opportunity to um, ship huge amounts of data in reasonable times at, at a cost-effective price for the labs. Excellent. Who's up next? Don't be shy, people. Somebody take it. Well, I'm, I'm happy to go next. Uh, my name is uh, Anthony Guglielmo, and I'm with a startup called Vigia. And uh, we're from Atlanta, so we're it's not too far away from us to, to get up to Chattanooga just a couple hours. But we make uh, mobile applications that are focused on public safety and try and provide the whole ecosystem all the way around from back-end servers to forward-facing mobile applications for campuses and schools where that's a... Uh, actually owned by the students, and they can contribute and submit information of incidents that are happening on campus just because there's a huge bottleneck right now with uh, with a mobile phone call. If it gets routed to uh, to an actual 911 dispatcher in the event of an emergency, there's about a 500% delay. It can be, it can change that response time from three minutes to, you know, nine to 12 minutes, even on some of our you know, most wonderful campuses, you know, the Harvards and MITs, they both have similar response times, and that's just because it goes through a, a Boston or Cambridge dispatch before it actually goes back to the campus. So that that incident in that time just is is horrible in my perspective, and there's a there's a big push towards a next generation 911 system nationwide, but that still hasn't leveraged video in a lot of capacities. They're still uh, unfortunately, we're still based on a system that's that was created in the in the 40s and implemented in the 50s. So, what we're really trying to do is is leverage the technology. And how we do that in Chattanooga is they've they've built out a wonderful mesh network where they've got you know to every government official they've got a 16 meg up and down that's available anywhere within the city limits and through some amazing technology partners and um, with the gig at EPB. So. We're just able to to leverage that, put stuff onto their network, and and keep it all in. So it's really nice for information sharing so that they're not reliant solely on their uh, radio communications and a central 911 dispatch. So so we love about Chattanooga, and it's it's been going really well so far. Excellent. Next. So my my name is Seth. Um, I'm from the student track, so it's a little bit different, but... um, I am from Lafayette, Georgia, which is pretty close to Chattanooga. It's about an hour south of here. I'm sorry, and we're in Georgia? Lafayette. Um, it would actually, it looks like Lafayette, but nobody there knows how to pronounce it correctly. So anyway. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, and I just saw about um, the Gig Tank online. Uh, it looked like a cool option. I was homeschooled, so I graduated a couple years early. And for the last couple years, I've just been taking core classes at um, like state colleges and stuff like Chat State and GNTC, and it looked like a cool option for the summer. So that's what I'm doing. And my team's idea, um, currently, at the moment, we're working on kind of making homes smarter so that people can connect to get w- with one another and kind of adding gamification to people's homes so that you can kind of connect with your friends and become more green together. 
and ha just um, empowering people to have more control over their homes and their devices. Excellent. Okay, last but not least. Hi, I'm Nicole. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm originally from New Jersey, but I spent four years in New Hampshire at Dartmouth College. Uh -huh. My team's idea is Rollover, which is a facial recognition implementation for retail and hospitality sectors. Through research, we discovered that one-third of shoppers switch loyalties, mostly because of the lack of superior customer service. So what we want is discount aggregation, in which stores use pictures of consumers' faces to access personalized coupons and, um, and discounts. So basically, instead of having to carry so many loyalty cards or so many credit cards, for stores, it would just automatically show up as soon as you walk in the store. Wow. that's uh, That sounds pretty impressive. I mean, all of you guys sound like you're definitely working on some cool stuff that will have a uh, a big impact on on things down the road. Let's uh, let's go back to the little, you don't have to stay in order, but, um, you know, but, but however you guys want to take the order. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh the end result that you hope to get from the app once you make it real uh, so uh with banyan uh, this is tony by the way with banyan um our our kind of uh, our overall goal i guess the 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 golden ticket for us would be uh, if somebody cured a major communicable disease uh through something like banyan uh so if or even if uh, something like cancer was eventually cured using a tool like Banyan. Uh, you know, what we found is research is a pretty inefficient uh, sector in terms of collaboration and communication. So the main problem we're trying to tackle there is just to connect connect people, smart people, and give them the ability to share data. Uh, at the University of Kentucky, we actually found two researchers working on the same exact thing on different grants a floor apart from each other and they had never met. They worked in the same building for seven years. Um, we think that's a pretty inefficient way uh, to work. Uh, one of the things about our, our program that we have now is uh, there's just so many intelligent people here. There's uh, an unbelievable amount of cross-pollination and, and uh, working together, collaborating with one another that I personally have grown as a programmer uh, an unbelievable amount. Uh, the same thing uh, with research, uh, the same thing that I'm experiencing here is what we want to bring to the research field, just bringing uh, a lot of really intelligent people together and allowing them to share data. Uh, that, that's the main thing that we're trying to tackle, and um, we've been pretty successful so far, at least early on. We, we only launched uh, a few weeks ago, but we've been pretty successful so far in terms of connecting uh, intelligent people and giving them the ability to, to share data that was previously unavailable. I can see where this would probably have application actually in a number of uh, areas where people collaborate. Maybe, well, it depends on the, the company. In the private sector, people tend to be more private and more, uh, I don't know, standoffish about people knowing what they're doing. But if you're talking about general researchers, especially at an academic level, or you're talking about uh, governments which collaborate a lot, you know, to, to address uh, all kinds of you know urban or rural problems, public policy issues, and so forth. If you had an easy way for people to share data, it seems like you would find a fairly strong market in a number of areas uh, for your product, right? I, I think so. I mean, a lot of the conversations we've had, research is our, our test market. That's our 
first market that we're going to go into, we understand it pretty well, um, and they have an apparent need for it in terms of actually utilizing the gig. But outside of the gig and in these other markets, uh, there's plenty of examples. I mean, anyone that collaborates with uh, on any type of file um, needs a way to manage it. They need a way to, uh, you know, track authorship and who has the master file and, and stuff like that. And, and those are all things that Banyan does. Um, and we've had uh, accountants and um, uh, people working on PowerPoints and and uh, just just general business, uh, general consumer productivity software that people have wanted to track versions on, um, but there's just not something like that out there. Well, it sounds like uh, you've done a fair amount of groundwork as far as research and figuring out where uh where where the need is and how to address it let's shift over to uh nicole i want to learn a little bit a little bit more about uh your project uh i mean this also sounds very interesting this thing of facial recognition as a uh a way to provide better customer service just give us a little more detail on this sure so basically i had this idea of digital data banking at the beginning and allowing consumers to have or regain control over their data and which stores would have access to that. And later, the idea of using a gig came along. And so one of my team members decided, well, why not implement facial recognition? So I'm really grateful that on my team we have two really great programmers. And we have a working demo right now and we're just adding the complementing interface so that if you're walking into a store and we have this set up, you could read as much to 10 faces at once and pull up their um, complementing data. So I guess besides learning exactly what people want control over and what they don't want stores to have access to, finding ways in which consumers can gain interest or can opt in and opt out of these store services. So it's not that we don't have digital loyalty cards or digital coupons now, but consumers can access all of their information in one place. So that's like the next step that we hope to, to tackle. And um, are you developing some early, uh, like what are some of your early, I don't know, findings or feedback? Because uh, it seems like you've, you know, some people have had an idea. Now you have this chance to work on it a little bit. Uh, you guys have been there for, what, a month now, or, uh, roughly? Yep, like five weeks, right, Seth? Okay. Mm-hmm. So ha- has some of your expectations for the app changed since you've started working on it? Surprisingly, a lot of people are very interested in it, especially mothers who are middle-aged. We thought that would be our hardest market to kind of tap into. But what people are mostly interested in is how can I opt out or what kind of discounts can I get? But there are so many applications to this where as you walk into a store, it takes a picture of you and you get personalized coupons. Rather than waiting until you're at the checkout center and getting on the back of your receipt, all the way to maybe... Walmart implementing this system so that when you walk by a video, ads and different commercials of products that you use would come up. So we there's so many ways that we can go with it. It's just a matter of honing into what would be the most simple way to start out with right now. Hmm. That's uh, that's going to be uh, fun. Now, are there any kind of privacy issues that that may creep in to become an issue or is it because you're going to go in you're going to ask somebody to take your picture or pull up your picture or whatever that you are controlling your privacy by virtue of the you know the verbal thing saying here take my picture for now it's more of a 
um, do first and then ask for forgiveness later kind of yeah. deal, in which consumers can go online at our website and say, you know, I don't want Walmart to have access to my information, but I love Toys R Us and I have kids and I want them to have access. Right now we've, um, we've kind of implemented this kind of secure network so that if a store wanted to tap into this, they couldn't access data from a consumer's other store histories. But other than that, there still is a lot of security and privacy issues. Deciding, you know, how can we bring as many consumers as possible from multiple generations and backgrounds into this? So we really are struggling with this concept. So if anyone has any ideas, suggestions, I'd be happy to hear. That would be good. In fact, our listeners should try to, uh, as much as possible, I will actually be willing to be a, a conduit for uh, questions. If our audience has questions for any of our guests, um, since I have their email addresses, I can just basically forward through uh, questions about their respective projects. Um, let's hear from Atlanta. Let's talk about mobile apps and, and public safety. Give us a little more detail on what's what's happening with that. So we actually have uh, have apps out in the field that are being played with by uh, kind of upper level supervisors here in Chattanooga and. Uh, they're able to to better see on site. Um, we actually have not had an, an emergency; just some training exercises they've been looking at. But um, what the the goal is is for them to be able to see what's going on on the other side of buildings during a, a fire response. And now, how do you to, mean? Like, what, what would this look like in terms of uh, walk me through? Am I am I buying sensors and the sensors go inside the building and the mobile device reads those sensors, or is it video uh, some all, sort of camp? It's video leveraged off of the back of uh, the current embodiment is with iPads, and so a uh, forward operating, you know, an engine, uh, whoever's running that truck and making the decisions off that truck is able to communicate uh, both video and audio to the other uh, you know, base command. And, and right now they do that over radio, and they just kind of assign that building, you know, has a certain side A, B, C, D, and uh, they just talk over radio. So with ours, they're able actually to show what the other one's seeing. You know, we we use the phrase you know, "work with your eyes open." So they're um, they're able to to hold the iPad up and show camera video live streaming footage of exactly what's going on, and uh, okay. able to say, "Oh, well, can you pan yours a little bit to the to the left or you know to the east," and be able to to say, "Oh, I see that there's actually a flames coming on that side of the building. We're not going to try and hit that with." Uh, with humans, we're going to try and hit that with hoses and, and water. And so that's the, the type of things that they say is the biggest problem for them. You know, we're a white-label app builder, so we make them based on uh, user suggestions and, and inputs. And we've also leveraged the GIS layer that they've got built in town so that they know where, their, uh, where the water lines are before they even arrive on site. Of, uh, They've got an incident that's able to, to pass through them, but it's mainly it's a communications tool that they're leveraging. But it's yeah. all embodied right now on a tablet and using the camera off the back of the tablet to facilitate that better communications. So it's using a number of different applications that already exist, but creating a central app to kind of manage all of those technologies, the video, the audio, the GIS databases, and so forth, in order to um, help the overall communication of those uh, emergency responders. It, it's all embodied in, in one application for them, so they're, they're not having to jump around through different tool sets and, and that kind of stuff. They're just 
different scenes and screens that they want to that they choose. They're able actually to see the other engines that are uh, overlaid based on their GPS position onto their GIS layer, um, so they can know who they're talking to before without having to ask, "Hey, who is this?" and you know, "What side of the building are you on?" and that kind of stuff. They right. Can see it live and streaming, but it, it's all embodied in in one application. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see a bigger audience for this? I mean, is this the kind of app that can be developed for you know the public safety world, but could be continually used by others, you know, building contractors and uh, you know just a whole slew of folks who have say multiple teams of people working on a project or a process or whatever, and be able to share data more effectively? Yes, we actually. Uh through another company that I run called ThruView, we build applications uh, for large enterprise customers, um, primarily focused on on collaboration and really on technical support. So as simple as, uh, you know, we distribute apps, and I won't mention my customers' names, but you can actually <laughs> no see what's uh, you can see what's going on inside a a residence or a business as far as uh, if they had a problem with a piece of technology, you can actually stream the video of what's going on so a tech support rep can better assist them. Um, the public safety market uh, was exciting to me because I went to a telecom conference um, out in Las Vegas where um, a certain manufacturer that I won't name was building a product and they were testing it with the Las Vegas uh, fire and police and asked them, I said, okay, that's that's awesome that you guys are doing this for 911. They said, yeah, we've, we've got a, a chat window here on this ruggedized device. I said, okay, how much does that cost? Said, it's $3,500 a unit. I said, "Wow, that's that's a lot of tax dollars." And I said, "When do you expect to implement video in this?" And they said, ah, "It's it's on our roadmap. It's probably 2018, somewhere in there." And, uh, wow! I'm yeah, able to stream that off that. of I'm able to stream that off of existing equipment without having to force, you know, million dollar spins for municipalities. And uh, you know, I, I provide, you know, either cloud or locally hosted. Uh, applications and, and software with recording in the background, you know, because it, it is public information of what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. But the recording aspect of it helps them for training and they're able to to, to better do incident reports and instead of worrying about writing stuff down as an incident goes on, they can review it later and they can make sure that they're getting, you know, their most efficiencies. Mm-hmm. So that's So Seth oh sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, sorry. Go ahead. Oh Go no, yourself. that's great. Thanks. Okay. Seth, let's talk about your stuff from uh Lafayette, not pronounced as Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, our idea, I actually kind of formed up with a team um, roughly three weeks ago starting to work on this idea. But what we're, what we're just trying to do is um, currently with your homes, most homes are, are dumb. You don't really know where your devices are. You don't know when they're connected. You can't see the breakdown of your, your power consumption. So we, we want to reinvent the power bill, basically, so that you can see it in real time as it's happening. Um, we want to empower users to, you know, do do whatever they want to with their devices, but basically take back control because devices tend to kind of take over people's lives and over their kids' lives. So um, our app is building on existing infrastructure, um, like smart plugs and things like th- of this nature, to basically be allow, uh, to allow the person to pull open open up the app on their phone and see the breakdown of their energy use at that point in time by different devices and to see like a projected use of if they, you know, try to go more green or not. And also see rankings with um their best friends so they can kind of connect with the community 
and try to kind of go more green and more um, energy efficient together. Um, some of the key features that we would allow is it would really appeal to parents, um, parents at the moment because under current devices and under current models of um, smart energy plugs, like parents really can't can't control what their kids are doing anymore. Um, there's parental controls for things like Xboxes, but the kids know how to do it better than the parents do. So um, it'd be pretty cool because you could just put a chip on the end of your plugs for your Xboxes, and then the Xbox would be on the system, and the parents would be able to very simply, through a really simple interface, say how many how many hours of electricity that device got every day. So basically, they could just help reclaim their life. And then when they see um, like the rankings of other users or their other friends, we would just have smart tips like if you replace, um, say, two or three incandescent bulbs um, with fluorescent bulbs, you would be able to pass your best friend. And so it just adds an amount of gamification and community to actually going green, which is yeah. and definitely where the future is going. Now, I will ask the same question I asked earlier, which is, you know, do you run into issues or do you expect to run into issues of privacy concerns? I mean, on the one hand, you know, it is the, it's, it's my house, dang it, and if you're going to live here, you know, then that, you know, get that whole parental spiel. Um, at the same time, you know, especially as they hit into the latter teenage uh, years, this gets a little dicey, doesn't it, as far as, you know, like how do you, you know, how do you allow parental control when you don't want to take away kids' total rights to, you know, be their own person? Well, you could set up different um, profiles as well under the um under the master account. So, I mean, if you're a child, if you don't if he's a 17-year-old and you don't really want to be able to ground him anymore from like, you know, his Xbox or set up like rule sets, then you don't have to be able to do that anymore. Like, but that's kind of like um parents' decision. I mean, until the kid's 18, they do have the right to see what power consumption they're pulling if they want to. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that's kind of where that would go. I have to, like, to... <laughs> It would be a home by home decision. Right. Um, now, uh, as I look at that, does that you know that application does that potentially have a, um, a business uh, usage? Because I know within corporations, in fact, I used to write about mobile applications quite a bit, and then and device management is generally the biggest headache that IT people have. You know, it's like we've got. Uh, even within the building, right? Not, uh, there may be you know, 100, 500 laptops, and there are a whole range of issues that come with managing those. Could this create sort of a super console that, you know, again, being mindful of privacy issues, allow certain types of, you know, better management or better energy management of devices in the business, in the corporate uh, structure? Absolutely. And many um, bigger businesses and corporations also um pay for their power based off of demand usage. So this could really help them as well, kind of flatten out their their peak hours and um, help manage their power Hmm. consumption. That will um, prove to be interesting. Um, I hope all you guys have blogs and stuff, you know, like you're writing this stuff up and, uh, you know, because some of us are going to want to follow these these projects, make no mistake. So this will be be good. Well, let's actually talk about the pro- the um, the program itself. Uh, you know, I, I refer to it as Summer Camp for Geeks, but I'm sure it's a little more serious than that, but it sounds like it's also a lot of fun. I mean, any, and anybody can start, you know, just what, what exactly are you folks doing? Uh, I know there's two tracks, so there's a, there's not, there's a track for entrepreneurs, uh, and then there's a track for uh, college uh, student teams. So either one of you can jump in, but let's let's talk about that. 
So this is Anthony here, and uh, Tony in off hours is helping me perfect my basketball shot. And Hot diggity dog. <laughs> I don't know that the summer is really that long to to make it decent, but he's at least instilling confidence. There you, um, there you go. There you go. You and Barack can start playing uh, some, some ball there next time he comes to town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that I would be schooled by uh, <laughs> by the Perez. Um, but it, it really is. It's, it is nice. Um, we've all been... Um, at least on the entrepreneur side, we just haven't had as much exposure to the students as, as we'd really like. But um, we've, you know, clicked up, grouped together, and uh, we not only uh, help each other, you know, coding-wise and giving suggestions-wise on uh, certain aspects and, and pitfalls that we've run into, but um, like I said, we really just have a really good time together. And uh, I feel like this has built some long-time friendships. You know, I, I am a... Um, security and, and privacy maven, you know, it's, it's a big, big thing for me. But I even joined Facebook uh, just to oh, keep keep friends with these kids. And, uh, you know, it's it's taken me out of a shell that I you know, didn't even know that I had in some cases. This is going to be like we, one heck of a testimonial audio one day, you know, when they <laughs> do uh, Gig Tank uh, 13 and 14 and stuff, you know. Um, let's Okay, so basically to start this, you guys had all submitted applications and the the 11, I guess, leaders, there were 11 leaders selected from that pool of folks of applications. Um, how, how did that how did it go? I, I'm, I guess I looked at the application at one point, but I've now forgotten what was on there. Was this a – what kind of process was this? Uh, I mean, it was a pretty, uh, you know, typical – if you've ever looked at applying to an incubator, uh, they asked you a lot of the same questions. Uh, okay. Um, that, that you typically would ask, you know, what your team, um, what your idea is, how you plan to disrupt, who your competitors are. Uh, a very similar kind of process that you'd go through in terms of pitching a VC – um, you, we pitched the incubator essentially, um, and then there was uh, a big focus, obviously, on on how we were going to actually utilize the gig. And then from there, uh, we had a series of phone interviews, and and then uh, we found out after that. Hmm. And then what happened next? You you pack your bags, your, your parents say goodbye to you, and good luck at camp. And here you are. Or <laughs> yeah, I actually packed up with uh, my two other co-founders. Um, we actually, me and my other co-founder, um, we packed my Mini Cooper uh, with three months of living supply, which was our most difficult challenge yet. Um, <laughs> and we drove up, uh, we drove up from Florida, um, and then we we checked into the housing that they've provided us here, and, and we were in work that Monday morning. We got in on a Saturday, and we got started right away. Hmm. So then sort of recap then for, uh, say, there are other communities as they're building networks and they might want to do a similar, uh, summer, a summer, a similar, I'll get this right, a similar summer of innovation um, using the, uh, you know, the process by which people select folks to be in an incubator might be the good way to structure a program that uh, screen, not screens, but select people to be part of the program. Because I'm sure that the folks in Chattanooga want to create folks who they feel are going to be successful. And it's not just, you know, do you have an idea, but, uh, you know, do you have at least some general idea of how you will go about executing that idea, right? I mean, they they asked you for some sort of, like, project plan for the summer? Yeah, that's right. We had to submit uh, 90-day plans, um, and then most of us, uh, at least in the entrepreneur track, we came in with pre-existing businesses. So we already had traction, uh, code development, and we were making a push. This was to really help us accelerate 
um, growth and, and to open the doors um, to mentorship and, and other businesses that, that we could potentially partner with and, and things of that nature. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, and being connected, this is Anthony speaking, mm-hmm. being connected in a community has been by far the most uh, valuable contribution that the, the program has made back to us. You know, we've just been introduced in, in phenomenal ways. So anyone that was planning this for another municipality, um, just making those high-level connections because some of these ideas are hard to, to get through at the bottom door because people um, may be adverse to change. But mm-hmm. we've been very fortunate that some of the higher-level folks can get it, can see the efficiencies from the uh, they can see the whole forest, and that's been extremely helpful. So anyone that was planning on doing it, make sure that you've got the political and Chamber of Commerce leadership side and able to open up some doors. That's That's been beautiful here. Okay. Uh, Nicole, what what are your thoughts on, on this? You've, uh, it sounds like you already had a team of creative people that you were already working with. Was that the deal you, you guys were already doing some work in this area and the, the the summer of gigabit love is just, you know, a vehicle for you guys to take advantage of and, and, you know, grow with? Oh, no. It was like the complete opposite for Seth and I and our teams. Um, to begin with the application process, it was much more intimate and kind of comical. We had questions such as, what's your favorite superhero and how would he utilize the gig? And when we got here, it was more of a survivor meets, I don't know, the real world or American Idol. It's 11 of us on the student trek, and we kind of have to compete to see who can leave the tank and start a team. And I ended up joining um, a team later on. So if you don't win that week, you're back into the tank and you have to pitch another idea. And so it was a lot more ideating and competition at first. So not only did the entrepreneur teams have a six-week I guess they started six weeks before we did, but we really had a lot of catching up to do. So it's like an accelerated accelerator, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, I got you. Yeah, I would say that um, one of the coolest parts about the student side is just being able to sit around and, like, you know, really ideate and come up with really cool ideas for the Gigabit Network. I mean, because you're not always working on a business idea. You're working more on products and, like, how how would this actually use the gigabit? And I think that's pretty cool. Hmm. And uh, had had any of you um, thought, I don't know, had any kind of thoughts, you know, as college students about, you know, learning in this kind of environment? I mean, you guys have been at the student thing for a while, and, uh, you know, was this something that you kind of, like, had maybe visualized before, or was this, like, a new idea when you first read about it? For me, it was a completely new idea. I've done entrepreneurial things at my school, but mostly related to education, never really thinking super outside of the box. At Lampost, it's more so taking an idea and reiterating that process over and over again. So I think by collaborating, it really forced me to look at things from a different perspective and not necessarily be so narrow-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's always a good thing. Yeah. That's always a good thing. So now, um, so you, so you got there and you've been meeting people, and um, it's been more than you know just the, the the programming work and so forth. And you guys have had mentors, right, and people who are helping you at the at the individual level. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about, uh, I forget which one, you talked about uh, you know joining Facebook and wanting to keep touch with these friends. Do you see this group of 11 teams and all the people that are involved as becoming almost like a, a special fraternity, sorority, you know, as you go I, forward I in your... I've referred to this program uh, a number of times as a fraternity of nerds. Um, (laughs) Kind of to build off of what Anthony said, you know, we're we're, all of us are really close. You know, we go to the gym together every day, play basketball. Um, I get dinner and drinks with these guys um, all the time. Not just kidding, sorry. Yes, I am barely, (laughs) but I am. Um, And uh, you know, in that sense. uh, I've, I honestly think this is, from on a personal stand, uh, from a personal standpoint, this has been two of the most enjoyable months of my life because I'm surrounded with people the, that are working extremely hard and, and functioning at a, an extremely high academic level, but at the same time they're they're great people and they've become great friends of mine. Um, and I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that could be. Duplicated. This experience could be duplicated anywhere else, but in a setting uh, like we're at in Chattanooga, where we've got an incubator and we're all really focused on what we're doing. But at the same time, we've got a ton of um, uh, personal interest outside of outside of work. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I I hope that the powers that be, as a, you know, listening to to your comments here, are going to make a like end of summer video because this sounds like one of the coolest things that has gone on in 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 quite a while there you know and it's like these really cool stories and uh good friendships and and you know a lot of the positive side of being in business which you know having myself been an entrepreneur for uh many many more years than I care to think about um you know that that fraternal sororal kind of um bonding thing and having those kinds of friends Will definitely be valuable in the long term because so many business deals are all about picking up the phone and you know calling people that you've hung out with and create a great stuff with and you know and trust each other's judgments and so you know this is definitely a uh, a, a good thing. So describe a typical I don't know collaboration moment when trying to address a gigabit um, uh, situation because a lot of people that are that are a lot of other communities are at the beginning of their build-outs. I mean, you've got a, a lot of money went into government projects or government-funded projects to build networks, right? And people are now just starting to, right before they unleash these things, you know, open up these networks, are starting to realize, that, well, they need applications. They need innovation. Now, Kansas City has done a lot of stuff in this brainstorming and bringing minds together uh, process, but... You know, describe a, a collaboration moment and how you might, you know, try to replicate something like that if you were, you know, doing this again, but maybe in some other city for people that don't, may not even have a network fully built out yet. I'll tackle that one. I mean, the easiest, the the clearest example for us is EPB, who actually built the gig here in Chattanooga, has made their door completely open for us and has given us every resource that we've asked for. Um, to run tests on their network. Uh, so they're actually letting us, you know, um, send terabyte files over their network, and they've opened up access to all of their top-level executives to answer any questions that we've had. Um, j- just th- those types of meetings and the ability uh, for us to be able to pick up the phone and, and ask EPB, um, you know, questions or send them emails or whatever, and then respond almost immediately has been um, unbelievably powerful. 
at least at least for us, at least for our startup and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So make make the asset make the the gigabit asset available to your brainstorming uh, innovation team is is key in your book then. Not not just the asset of the the gig, but the asset of the talent and get uh, EPB allowing us to tap in directly to their talent pool and be able to ask some some questions that are are difficult but can be solved very simply by by the people that have been doing this for a long time. I think that's I think that's the most powerful thing is the relationship, um, n- not so much access to the gig, but the relationship to the people that built the gig and that know firsthand. Um, you know, kind of the, the trials and tribulations that you run through uh, when you're building uh, gigabit gigabit applications. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing you. It's the best way to allow you to um, learn from the experiences of others. So it's not just you know here we are and yeah we're on the network and we kind of play with the network. We can actually talk to the people and they treat us as peers or peers in training, I guess, and and that's that works. Absolutely, yeah. Cool deal. I um, now um, well, well, coming back to the collaboration part. Okay, so you, you're discussing, you know, working with the uh, the folks at at EPB as you, as your teams have kind of moved along. Do you do you know much of your collaboration, you know, on the basketball court? Is it late night meetings, early morning meetings? You know, how how do you guys as a team? Well, you know your respective teams anyway, and maybe each one of you should talk about this. You know, how do you guys, uh, you know, brainstorm? How do you collaborate? Start with Nicole. <laughs> For me, it's more like I read a lot, and whenever I see something online, I'm either sending it to the entire group or to my team, and then we'll come in the morning and be like, "Oh my God, wasn't this cool? How can we implement this?" And so we're always like reiterating our idea, and then perhaps presenting three or four times a week and seeing what people like and what they don't. So that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. Anthony, how, how well, does you get everywhere? I'll, I'll give you an example that happened just the other day. Um, joining in the social network, I saw that Banyan had announced that they were doing a public beta. And uh, so I, I signed up and, and did an account and, and did some uh, – I have previous background as a QA tester, so I did what any good QA tester does, and I tried to break it. And uh, just, I didn't, by the way. It works really well. Uh, <laughs> okay. I was able I to know. to um, just jump on a chat session with Tony. I was actually in in Atlanta with meetings yesterday, so it wasn't even physically prepped here. But because we're we're friends, um, yes, we're in competition, but we're in a different market. We're in different things. But I want his product to be the most successful because, quite honestly, I love these guys. They're awesome. So being able to to just add a few little points and maybe a different perspective has been super helpful, and they've helped me with some uh, some design concepts and and really, you know, added a lot to to my team and, and different ways of of thinking about things. And I hope that that's delivering a, a more quality product. Um, but when it happens, it it just happens late at night, spontaneous, over beers, over coffee. You know, it just it happens, and it happens. You know, on the on the best days and the worst days is how it's been happening on the entrepreneur track. Mm-hmm. Seth, how's how's how are things? How how's collaboration happening in your group? Um, 
I think coming into the student track all as individuals and not having teams has just made it, like starting off before we formed our teams, we were very, very collaborative. We would just all get together and come up with ideas and brainstorm and it was a very free environment of coming up with ideas and, you know, pitching them to everybody, all the other students and just getting their feedback on things. And I think because of that, as, as teams have formed up in, in, our, in our track, we still are very, very helpful to each other. Like, you know, sometimes my best critics are the people on the other teams, and I can go ask them about the ideas we're coming up with. Um, one of the guys, his name is Corey, he's awesome, he's on another team, but you can always bounce ideas off of him, and he'll always, like, you know, try to poke holes in it and come up with ideas and help you out. And I, I think that's a really cool, unique environment to have, you know, teams that are actually competing for the same goal, just really helping each other out and wanting to see, you know, everybody do the best that they possibly can in the field that they've chosen. Mm-hmm. Did we get everybody there? Uh, Tony, did we talk to you about your... Your crew uh, yeah. and your collaboration practices? Well, I mean, the biggest thing, I was actually going to say what Anthony did uh, to Q&A test our application was unbelievable. And uh, while he didn't break anything, he did find a ton of areas that we <laughs> could approve. And uh, we were working late last night and early this morning uh, to actually ship some new changes to kind of correct some of the things that he found. But also, uh, you know, another uh, another person in the program that Anthony and I collaborate with a lot um, is a guy named Andrew Abamusa. Um who's just one of those guys that is just a, an unbelievable programmer, um, better than better than I'll ever be, I'll, I will flat out say it. Um, and there's just so much to learn from that guy. But, I mean, most of our collaboration uh, with Andrew is, is probably over dinner or beers or us just talking, you know, throughout the office. It's extremely casual, but it's it's pretty great because, for me, he's actually living right across the hall. So... Um, you know, it could be 10 o'clock at night, and I've got a question. I can just walk over and talk to Andrew. And that's uh, j just the power of being so close and, and being able to be so casual about it um, versus if if I didn't know him or I had met him uh, in a different business setting, I, I would probably – I wouldn't be as comfortable uh, to approach him to kind of ask him uh, questions that he probably thinks are very simple to solve but are difficult for me. Mm -hmm. So let's go around and talk about – you know, challenges. What has been the biggest challenge that each of you as a person has, has felt with this? And maybe part two would be, you know, the biggest challenge as a team, you know, your respective team has faced so far. And obviously how you overcame that. We can start with start start with Seth. Okay. Um I guess personally the biggest challenge I I have faced is kind of um defining what my strengths are and where I should be, like, really spending my time. Um, because, it, I mean, like, at first I kind of went into this, and I've never, I, I always knew I wasn't a programmer, um, but I went into this trying, I, I can program somewhat, I went into this trying to be more of, like, a technical, um, and trying to, like, fix all of my technical problems myself, and I, I can't do that, that's not my strength. So I guess part of, like, coming, getting over that was just figuring out that, my strengths are more in communication and dealing with people and, like, design and just um, finding help with the things that I'm not good at and, you know, just really learning to use a team well and, you know, finding people that compliment you and people that you compliment. So I guess that was my biggest challenge. Cool deal. Um, who wants to be next? Uh, Tony? Uh, I'll, I'll kick that off, yeah. I mean, uh, we had... Early on in the program, we had uh, a couple mentors come in that we kind of uh, bounced our original idea off, and uh, we just got absolutely wrecked, and they poked an unbelievable amount of holes in our idea. Thankfully, they did that. 
Um, I, I guess the biggest challenge for us was restructuring our application uh, to what the market really wanted, as well as kind of addressing some of these issues uh, that were brought up. Uh, and some of the main issues were, uh, you know, security. How are we going to, you know, uh, handle encrypting all of this very sensitive data? Um, and uh, dealing with researchers being secluded. You know, a lot of people don't like to share. Uh, they don't share by nature. Um, and researchers are an extremely secluded uh, set of individuals. Uh, so we actually had to kind of re-engineer our product to be um, beneficial even if you're an individual. And uh, th those were tough times. Early on, those were, were very difficult times. Uh, we had a, a mentor come in by the name of Michael Bertram, a guy out of Nashville who's extremely comfortable and uh, has worked in the research and healthcare space, and he just uh, destroyed us. Not not in a mean way, by any means. He was mm -hmm. uh, extremely nice and polite, but he, he pointed out some fatal flaws, and, and that was a challenging time for our team because we had just gotten here. We were just getting accustomed to what we were doing, and, and now, in a sense, we had to rewrite a large uh, part of our, our application. Um, so those were, those were, I'd say, our biggest challenges, especially early on, was kind of um, weathering the storm and, and rewriting some, some crucial parts of our application to, to correct, these, correct these flaws that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole, what was your big challenge? For me, I think with being a female, there are very few um, girls just who, um, who are our mentors or who are in the program in general. I think there's three or four. And so socially, I felt a little awkward, and I didn't think that I'd be well-received by the guys. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've, I've come, I'm just dealing with that, and it's not as bad as I thought it'd be. Um, in terms of my team, we have two international students, so sometimes there can be a language or cultural barrier. But that's mm -hmm. about it. We work really, really hard and very well together. Cool deal. And uh, who did I, oh, Anthony, I want to leave you out. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'd say the... Uh, the most challenging part of it is just kind of deciding what kind of animal uh, we want to be as far as a business. Um, I'm very product focused and uh, customer service focused, and just you know really determining: do we want to be an investment animal? Do we want to to take the money and then try and scale out super super quick and, and broadly, and or do we want to maintain kind of the the culture of just doing you know white label, awesome customer service, uh, and just try and be more affiliate business and, and move along that way. And uh, we've, we've been tested, you know, back and forth. There's, there's the obvious allure of, of taking VC funds, um, but then there's also you, you get to learn how much you, uh, you know, why you don't work for somebody else. And, uh, and that's, that's been a, a big thing for me of, I, I used to work for a, a big Fortune 500 company that could uh, make decisions for me, and, and I didn't like that as much as what I like doing now. So taking that money and, and kind of being beholden to someone else is uh, has been my biggest challenge. Interesting. Very interesting. That 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 is a point that... Um, I think every entrepreneur has to struggle with if you're going to, you know, if you have this great idea and you want to bust that idea out over a broader plane you know what do you do when you when you can't fund it well then you go get money well yeah but every every option for money comes with a price of some sort and none of it is is free so i would say that you probably all have learned or will learn shortly that this is a big uh, it's a big question and it, you know and there's no necessarily right or wrong answer universally but there's definitely a right 
or wrong answer for the individual or the individual entrepreneur. Um, let's take a minute uh, to just talk about, you know, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about, you know, the value and potential impact of broadband? You each get about a minute on this one. Um, you know, because I and a lot of folks maybe who are listening in, we live in this 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 chamber of noise about the glory and grandeur of, of broadband. But you know, what do people from the outside think? You know, what did you think before? And you know, and um, you know, it's been shaped obviously by your time in Chattanooga. But where do you see this thing? What is what is what is the future? What's the future impact of broadband? I'll tackle that one first. Um, for me, it's it's twofold. Uh, as a business, it allows me to operate extremely quickly. I can do deploys um, that would normally take me 45 minutes in under five minutes, so it saves me a ton of time. And also when I'm working, uh, it kind of removes the lag of a workflow. Uh, so I don't have to wait for anything to load. I don't have to uh, wait for my code to actually push. I can just uh, think and do and react in almost real time uh, because bandwidth is no longer a barrier. Uh, you know, one of the examples that I pointed to earlier is if you send a 100 megabyte file or a terabyte file over a network right now, it would take about 22 hours from San Francisco to London. Um, in a 600-mile radius here, in e using EPB's network, uh, we can move a terabyte of data in about 16 minutes. Um, so there's an unbelievable uh, uh, amount of time saved there. And, and that's the biggest thing for me is just the faster the broadband, the more efficient I am, the more efficient my business can be. Mm -hmm. Nicole, 60 seconds. What's, what do you see the impact of broadband being? Well, with the efficiency, I definitely see the academic disparity gap gap closing a lot, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to resources and how certain students can't access it. And I know just being on the UTC campus, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, are you kidding me? It takes this long to load, or I have to download this. And I just feel like a lot more businesses are entering the social entrepreneurship market, or how can we really help low-income low income students and, and people who may not have these resources. So I really see that gap of information closing in the future. Excellent. Next, I think um, this is Seth. I think that what Nicole was talking about and um, Tony both like the collaboration, and everything. I think that's one of the like probably the biggest um, difference we can see right now. I think that it's going to increase product productivity, and it's just really going to revolutionize how we communicate with one another. But I think in the future, I mean, I don't. I think there's plenty of different options and apps and things that can be invented that's going to utilize the gig. That you know, it's just really going to blow our mind about how it can be used. So. I'm excited to see what all, you know, in the future comes out of it. Cool. And our cleanup batter, what do you got? I, I'm actually a bit older, and I, I've seen the uh, the whole life cycle of, I was a technician when we were installing uh, 56K modems, and um, I've I've seen what broadband has changed and how entire businesses and, and models have shifted around. And I think we're finally getting to that sweet spot of where we can, where it's not... That line between tech and human interface is so narrow right now, whereas before, you really had to be an expert in the field in order to communicate and stuff, and it took training and it had to be this, and now we're able to create seamless lifecycle kind of applications that are no longer limited by, you know, you don't have to design it to accommodate the network and, and transfer speeds and that kind of stuff. It can just flow as you want it to be, and that's really the, the wonderfulness of, of having a gigabit Ethernet. Okay. All right. Starting with Nicole, you got a minute. What is the one way that you think a community with a new network can create innovation or create an environment for innovation? 
I think by having more gig tank opportunities, I know that Lampost Group really wants to expand out to different communities, and I know Kansas City is doing something similar. So having more opportunities where students and entrepreneurs can come in and just share and interact. And I really love what they're doing here in Chattanooga, and I just want this to be replicated in different parts of the country. Excellent. Anthony? As far as uh, building out, if you don't mind repeating the question. Oh, just, you know, what's the one thing you would suggest to a community to help them create the kind of innovation that you guys are doing there in Chattanooga? I think fostering that that social atmosphere um, has been very, very helpful. And, and we've not only created, um, you know, just with the, the Gig Tank project, but also we've brought in members of the community that weren't really aware of, of the – they knew that the gig was here through advertising, but didn't necessarily know – what we wanted to to do with it and, and there's a lot of local resources you don't i mean we were all most of us were brought into this area in order to to do this but there's enough talent in Chattanooga that's just underutilized at this point um so i think that making more social uh, experiments to to bring together people and and let them start to you know there's there's an entrepreneur in, in almost all of us mhm excellent Seth one minute what do you got I think um, the defining factor that's making this work is just the community that we see here in Chattanooga. It's, um, it, it really is amazing just to see everybody collaborate together and just to feel the vibe in Chattanooga. Chattanooga really does have a really good um, community for when it when it comes to entrepreneurs and tech and techies, and like they're really open to learning and learning how to how they can help you and how what they can do to make your your stay better and to help you you know get the resources you need. And I think I think that's just you know the key thing. You need to get cool, smart, techie people to come to your city to, like, to work on it and, net and network and kind of come up with ideas, but you have to be able to help them out and give them the resources they need, and I think Chattanooga has been really great about doing that. Excellent. Tony, bring it on home. I'll throw you a wild one out since these guys hit the obvious ones. I think that if I was another city trying to bring this type of, uh, this type of um, <clears throat> intelligence and uh, gigabit development to a city, I would focus on hardware. Um, everyone's focusing on software, but I've got to imagine that there's a lot of really bright guys at, at top universities working on um, on hardware applications for the next generation of networks. And I, I think that there's a lot that can be done there that's being underutilized. Um, and and I, I've got to imagine that there's some extremely bright students at MIT and Harvard and Yale and, and, and at all of the Ivy Leagues that are working on uh, physical devices that, that can really improve our lives, uh, whether that's robotics or sensors. I, I'm not really sure. That's not my area of expertise, but I know it's going on, and, and I know that nobody's catered to that demographic yet. Excellent. So, folks, Tony, Anthony, uh, Nicole, and Seth, you guys have been an awesome panel of guests today. Uh, the ideas and the feedback have been uh, tremendous. I mean, I think we could probably... We could probably carry this conversation on for a couple hours, but I but I know a lot of the audience have day jobs that I want to get back to and stuff. But definitely thank each and every one of you for being here today. This has just been an awesome an awesome show, and I really appreciate your time and your creativity. You guys are doing some really cool stuff. Thanks for having us. Yes, no thank you. I'll keep tabs. We'll probably bring you back again, whether in this the summer world here and another one. So, you know, we'll definitely stay in touch. Um, I definitely want to also thank our audience today. You guys have been great. This has been, you know, one of our biggest audiences to date. 
And um, I also want to thank Hiawatha Broadband Communications, our sponsor, uh, who able, enables us to bring this show out every week. And so, um, you know, thank them for their continued support. Everyone else, thank you. Uh, have a great day. Next week, we're going to have a couple of interesting shows coming up. Uh, so, so come back again and visit us. Take care, folks.